When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of those at a podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here on the half of the podcast. Kyle, I'm back, baby. What's going on, bro? Chilling, bro. Back in the studio, my guy. Ready to get back to it. So I know you weren't here last week, and I know you had an amazing time at EDC. So well, first of all, just kind of give me the rundown of what EDC was like last weekend. Well, I mean, obviously, I've been doing festivals like that since I was about 18, 19. Um, took a hiatus, three-year break. Obviously, COVID had a big reason as to why I didn't go to the last two festivals. But it felt good to be back in the environment. Um, we talked about it personally the other day. And, you know, like, the feeling that I get from being at festivals is just so releasing, so relieving. And just, it's so weird to explain. It's like, I get the most joy out of being myself there and just being able to experience that with the lights and the performances and the DJs and the music. It's, it's a feeling that's, it's, it's not really describable to be honest, unless you're there to experience it. So I'm happy that I went, my body's not exactly happy, obviously kind of still feeling the repercussions to it. I'm not young like I used to be, but, uh, I have no regrets, man. That thing was absolutely incredible. I'm so happy that I decided to go. Yeah. I bet those joints are probably feeling a little, little stretched after what happened last weekend but no I'm, I'm glad you had a great time it's too bad that you missed like one of the best like weekend in sports that we've seen within like the last couple of weeks or so just because the football games were popping off last weekend my guy so yeah it, it sucked to miss those because when I got back to the hotel room like at 12 31 o'clock whatever time that was and I just obviously all my stuff started to finally load I was getting updates of like crazy plays score updates i see the final scores to some of the games i mean for god's sakes the colts won that was that was yeah. one that i was just like i got that update that i already told you about i got that update mid-set for some reason i was getting no espn no sports signal whatsoever and like god like opened like one ray of like wi-fi or like <laughs> just signal for the colts final score and i was like you could ask the people i was with like my jaw dropped and i was like we won, and it was just that's all I needed for the day for relief because I couldn't get any fantasy updates or whatever. But yeah, I can tell by my notifications when I got back, dude. It was, it was crazy. What did you, what did you first think or do when you saw that Justin Jefferson catch against the Bills? Well, I immediately tried to get whatever highlights I could just to see the circumstances because all you could see was gifs and highlights and pictures of just like it frozen in time where his hand mm -hmm. went up, and I'm just sitting here like. There's no shot. Like, was this in the first quarter? Was this to win the game? Like, there was no context to what I was seeing until I actually, like, clicked on it, of course, in my Happy Place Twitter, where somebody wrote the whole paragraph of what the hell was at stake. I see the whole play, and I'm just like, fourth and 18, one, what the, f come on, bro. People yeah. got to stop playing with JJ. Yeah, I remember, like, before the season was starting, you were saying, like, he was going to be in contention for the best receiver in the league, and I think at this point, I think he's making a pretty strong case just because, bro, that connection that he has with Kirk Cousins already, I know they've only had this connection for three years at this point, but, bro, it it's solid. Like, he's by yeah. far and away. I, 
I, he's by far and away the best receiver on that team just because everybody else who's in the receiving core on that team with the Vikings, they're just not getting the same amount of targets. Nowhere near to what Justin Jefferson's getting. Nothing. But Yeah. And I mean, with, with, with Tay in reference to Devontae Adams going over to Vegas, I think that that immediately took him out of that spot just initially before the season had started because we know that Derek is not the quality quarterback that Aaron is. And you can see in the production standpoint, not only in the records, I know that Green Bay is only slightly better technically, but in terms of production, like Tay isn't putting up anything close to what Justin Jefferson is. It's it's not even slightly close. So you just look at it like, wow, like that was a bad career move for Devontae Adams. And we're not going to get into that. It's just when you talk about Justin Jefferson, you have to put in the conversation. Obviously, you know, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, and so many other great receivers. But mm-hmm. when you have a game like that, play like that, in the circumstances like that, that is what catapults you above the rest to, to to make a statement saying, I am him. I know that that statement, that phrase is like trending over the last year or so, but it's like those are the moments where you're allowed to say that because you rightfully yeah. earn the right to You rightfully earn that to say that I'm the guy. Yeah, exactly. And as far as I see it, I think when it comes to like the second best receiver in the league, I mean, you could throw probably a couple of names out there, but as far as I see it, Freaking Justin's number one right now, at least when it comes to productivity this year. I mean, I know Cooper Cup's always going to be one of those receivers that's always going to haul in a bunch of tar- he's going to haul in a bunch of receptions, get a bunch of yards. But now they had that high ankle sprain, going to be out for them next month, potentially even more. I think Justin takes that spot. Yeah, but bro, when it comes to Week Eleven this weekend, we got a solid slate of games to go through. So I don't know if it's going to be as good as last weekend, but hoping that this upcoming weekend kind of lives up to that same expectation that we had last week because last weekend was just phenomenal when it came to the football games that we had. So hopefully that continues. Kev, you ready to dive into the slate, though? Oh, without a doubt. Your boy is uh, looking to shake off some rust. Don't worry, bro. We got all episode to do that. So, But the first game that we're going to go over is going to be the Jets and the Patriots. This is going to be... The second game between the Jets and the Patriots. The Patriots won the first matchup a couple of weeks back. Really, their defense kind of carried them to that win, uh, picking off Zach Wilson three times in that game. After that, we'll transition to a really big NFC battle that's going to take place between the Dallas Cowboys and the Minnesota Vikings. Cowboys kind of choked it last week in Green Bay. They were up 28-14 in the fourth quarter, ended up losing that game 31-28 to in overtime. And then when it came to the Vikings, the Vikings probably had their best game of the year as far as the team that they went up against with the Bills and probably from what everybody's been saying about it was by far and away the game of the year winning that game by the score of 33 to 30 in overtime just that game was phenomenal from beginning to end and I think it's gonna be very difficult for another game for the rest of the season to live up to that same standard that Buffalo and Minnesota put up last weekend so the Vikings are eight and one they were number one in our power rankings uh, this past week, so it's going to be a great game between Dallas and Minnesota this upcoming weekend. After that, we will kick it to the Sunday night matchup that's going to take place between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, there's not really much for me to say about the Chiefs. They just continue to hum right along. Uh, I don't believe they'll have Juju in for this game. Suffered a pretty nasty hit. Uh, essentially got knocked out. And I mean, literally knocked out. And... Um, I highly doubt that we'll see him on the field this weekend, but still, 
You know, Patrick Mahomes still doing what he does. It's at the top of the MVP leaderboard. And then the Chargers, the Chargers are at least staying consistent. You know, the Chiefs are still ahead of them in the AFC West, but you know, the Chargers are really going to have to have their A game to kind of get back into some sort of AFC West contention for a division title. Um, that'll be an interesting Sunday night game, though. So I'll be looking forward to that one. And then we will round out the NFL slate with the Monday night game that's going to feature the San Francisco 49ers and the Arizona Cardinals. Um, when it comes to the 49ers, they're a team that's on the rise. Still, the Seattle Seahawks are in first place in the NFC West, but the 49ers are kind of nipping at their heels. I believe they're only one game behind the Seahawks in the win column, and we'll see whether or not that they could match that going into uh, that Monday night matchup. And then when it comes to Arizona, they've just been really inconsistent this year. Not the team that we saw from last year. And we'll see whether or not they can bounce back in that Monday night game. So that'll round out the NFL slate. After that, we'll have one segment uh, in regards to the NBA. Uh, we're just going to talk about the Golden State Warriors and really their, Kev, you're going to be thrown off by this word, their inauspicious start. They have really struggled on the road this year. They've lost every single road game. I mean, they've been great at home, but on the road, they have just not lived up to, I guess, the standard that we all expect them to play at. And they're a sub-500 team right now. So granted, the season is still early. There's plenty of time for Golden State to make it up. But we'll just kind of dive into the issues that seem to be plaguing Golden State right now and whether or not that we think that they can turn it around sooner rather than later. But like I said, it's kind of a weird start for Golden State, you know, being at a sub-500 record essentially halfway through November at this point. So that'll pretty much round out the episode. Kev, you know I'm rocking my team here, so I'm going to let you take this one when it comes to the Jets and the Patriots in the setup. I got you, bro. I'll set you up. So obviously, New York is 6-3, and three, New England is 5-2, and two, Buffalo is 6-3, and three, and now, no, Buffalo is 6-4. and four. New, and New England's Miami not five and two. New England's not five, five and, and two. Five and four. Oh, I see two and two side by side. Let me start that part over. Excuse me. The Jets are six and. F- wow, English is just difficult. You see what I mean? I got to shake this rust off, right? So hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm breathing. Wusa, wusa. Is my dad. <laughs> I'm rub. I'm rubbing the ears. Whew. The Jets are six and three. The Pats are five and four. The Bills are six and four, and the Dolphins are seven and three. The AFC East is tight as humanly possible and it's 10 times tighter than people would have assumed this year the Jets obviously struggled against New England last time they faced off Zach Wilson looked like he was seeing ghosts similar to Sam Darnold did a few years back and Belichick he's just got that history against young quarterbacks man so Kyle to kick this one your way despite the Jets being 4-0 away this season can New England defend home field and continue their dominance against the Jets yeah I believe so and I just want to be transparent here. Obviously, I'm rocking the team, but I'm going to put my bias aside for this segment. So we'll get that out of the way. When it comes to the game itself, I think the New England is going to win in a very similar manner as they beat the Jets the first time around. This is not a game where I think that the Patriots are going to blow the doors off of the Jets and they're going to win by two or three positions. I just don't see that happening in any way possible when these two teams run it back this weekend. I do expect a very competitive, really sort of defensive battle between these two teams. And that's exactly what we saw in the first matchup. I didn't think that Mac Jones for the Patriots really lit it up against the Jets. 
there were some drives where they were able to get into the red zone, but they weren't able to cash in on touchdowns. They had to settle for field goals. So you could give a little bit of credit or you can give a lot of credit to that Jets defense for being able to step up in the red zone and forcing New England to settle for field goals instead of allowing up touchdowns. But, you know, when you flip it, when you look at the Jets offense, they just couldn't really get anything consistently moving in a positive direction simply just because Zach Wilson was way too turnover prone against the Patriots in that first matchup. He had three interceptions and Kev, you said it best, like in the lead up, it just seems as if Belichick really knows how to scheme against Zach Wilson and this Jets offense simply just because there were just too many drives where the Jets just couldn't get anything started. Either that or it was a turnover or if they were able to get any sort of points, it was kind of too late. They had to dig themselves out of a hole, but in the first matchup, it was just too big of a hole to get out of. And that was despite the fact that I think New England gave the Jets ample opportunities to come back in that game, in that first matchup. So if the Jets are going to learn one thing from that first matchup is they have to limit their turnovers. Zach Wilson cannot be as turnover prone in this second game if the Jets have any shot to go up to Foxborough and pull out a dub you know, to really kind of put themselves really at the top of the AFC East at this point. But I think it's going to be very difficult for them to do it just because I think that Bill Belichick and that defense, uh, this is the best way that I could describe it. I think they're going to have their ears pinned back against Zach Wilson just because I think very similar to what we saw a couple of years ago when Sam Darnold was saying that he was seeing ghosts on that famous Monday night game when they were playing the New England Patriots. I think that you could say something similar in regards to Zach Wilson simply just because he just is not having what I would consider top flight performances against that Patriot defense and that Patriots defense, when it comes to the amount of turnovers that they're forcing, they're at the top of the league. If they're not number one, they're definitely in the top five. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're able to get another turnover or two against this Jets offense. And it better not be more than that, because as far as I see it, then the Patriots can really run away with it. If the Jets turn the ball over two plus times or even potentially three times. So, you know, like I said, I'm putting a lot of emphasis on the Jets here simply just because they were a better team as far as their record was when they played the Patriots a couple of weeks ago. But you could tell that they just did not play up to their expectation in that game. And they got to really show they really got to show it to me that they could get over that hump offensively to get past this New England defense. And I'm just not really certain of it. And I'm not really convinced that Mac Jones and the Patriot offense are really going to light it up. I see Ramondre Stevenson being a focal piece in this equation for the Patriots offense. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets somewhere around 15 to 20 touches, gets uh, around about maybe 75 to 100 yards rushing. Wouldn't be surprised he gets maybe four or five catches. And then when it comes to the wide receiving corp, you know, Jacoby Myers is definitely going to be involved. We'll see whether or not that Devontae Parker uh, could potentially be inserted back into the lineup. He's been dealing with some lingering injury issues the last couple weeks, but coming off the bye, maybe we'll see a chance for him to play. But I just got to, I have to see more from Mac Jones. I have not seen the consistency that I saw from him uh, last year and this year particularly. It just seems like I think the coaching issues and just really the play calling this year, I think has affected him in a detrimental way. I think that he could have a better second half of the year. And maybe this is the game where we may see that type of rookie season performance that we saw from him in multiple games last year. But you know, I got to see more from Mac Jones if he's really going to convince me that he's turned a corner this year. But I think that Mac Jones is going to have a solid day, probably around 200 to 250 yards passing, maybe a touchdown or two. But 
I really think that the Patriots defense is really going to be the focal piece for the Patriots winning this game. If I had to put a score on it, I think this is going to be a relatively low-scoring game. I think the Patriots win this one. I'm going to say 23 to 17. I think both teams are going to be going to be able to score points intermittently throughout the game, but I think that Patriots defense are going to be able to force some turnovers from the Jets, and I think that's really going to be the difference maker in this one. I think the Patriots are going to be able to turn those turnovers into points, and I think by and large, I think New England's going to win this one in a close one. 23 to 17 is what I have it. So Kev, I'll kick it to you from here. I definitely agree it's going to be a close one. I mean, we've said this for weeks, and it's just history. It's just on our side here. Division games are no joke, uh, especially with two opponents that know each other as well as they do in the Jets and the Patriots. And I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, the Jets learned their lesson, at least I hope that they did, and they realized that you cannot put Zach Wilson in situations to where he has to force the ball downfield. You know that New England's going to bring the pressure. You know that they are going to be able to take away your best weapon, which is going to be the run game. The Jets win games when they run the football effectively and when their defense is swarming. That means that Bill Belichick is going to have to put the ball in Zach Wilson's hands. So Robert Sala and this offense are really going to have to find some makeshift ways to get Zach into either an early rhythm or make that offense faster. Get the ball out of his hands quickly, short intermediate routes, whether or not that's going to be completely out of the gun, the pistol, rolling it out, play action pass. You have to find ways to make sure that Zach Wilson remains efficient and confident. When you get into a young quarterback's mind like Bill Belichick does, they've completely fall out of whatever rhythm they start the game with. And again, you know, whether that's good warm-ups, good week of practice, a good nap before the game, whatever it is, whatever quarterbacks have to do to get themselves mentally prepared, you're looking at this and you're saying Bill Belichick, his track record against inexperienced quarterbacks is is damn near flawless. And there's a reason behind it. And it's because the Patriots genuinely look at your offense and they say, all right, you have a superstar receiver. He's out of the game. It's like, it's like, Almost, it's like the equivalent of like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with like Marvel. It's like when Tony Stark used to like zoom into the schematics of the Iron Man suit and he'd like break it apart into pieces, like that 3D image where he'd take a piece out and zoom. Like, I feel like that's what Belichick does when he schemes because it's like, I'm going to take the most important piece of how this offense lives and breathes and it's gone. And it's just, it's just the proof, you know? So I wouldn't, ex- I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots are going to stack the box and really force Zach Wilson to go out and beat them. Now, if that is the case, again, Zach Wilson has got to be prepared for it. He's got to be ready for the adversity, and he has to be ready to make those reads and adjustments for when the Patriots bring pressure. Now, for the Patriots, I will say, Kyle already alluded to, they gave away plenty of opportunities for the Jets to come back because that Jets defense was able to make Mac Jones' life a little bit more of a living hell. For the Patriots' sake, they're coming off of a bye. They're rested. They're relaxed. Hopefully, they can come into this game a little bit more prepared, and they're going to be able to go at the Jets' defense a little bit differently. We all know that Sauce Gartner is looking to be arguably one of the best corners in football, not just the best rookie corner, because he has proven time in and time again the kid's locked down. He has faced a number of good receivers this year. I mean, he has just proven himself in every category that you can. So expect him to follow the best receiver on the field, whether that is Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne. I mean, it doesn't really make a difference. The guy's an animal. So I think the Patriots are going to have to lean on Ramondre Stevenson. I think they're going to have to find a way to get Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry involved in this offense early, attack the middle of the field, and really gash that Jets 
not necessarily secondary, but really come over the middle of the field, get those linebackers tired, make sure that those safeties are going to be exhausted and having to come down into the box regularly. So overall, I will say that I believe that the Patriots will continue this victory, or should I say continue the streak of beating the Jets, just for the sake of uh, Bill Belichick's just a better coach, and that's no disrespect to Robert Sala. It's just history speaks for itself. Um, I will agree with Kyle. This will be a close one. I think this will be somewhere along the lines of maybe 2024, maybe 2117, somewhere along those lines. If the Jets can find a way to get into a rhythm early, I think maybe they can score a little bit more. But I just I, I got to rock with Bill, man. When you have Bill Belichick, one of the greatest coaches of all time, going up against a kid that has shown us throughout his tenure in terms of his two years where he has good weeks and then like God awful weeks, most of those bad weeks are going to be against Bill Belichick. So I got the path in this one. And I have to say, you know, the last game that we saw the Jets play in, they beat the Bills, who were arguably the best team in the NFL at that time. Right. And it was simply just because in that second half, that Jets defense just absolutely locked it down. And Josh Allen in, in that Bills offense, which is one of the best offenses in the NFL, I mean, they got stifled. The Jets really kind of gave it to them uh, defensively in that game. And not only that, you know, the that pass rush got home just because, I mean, Josh Allen on one of those pass plays ended up hurting his elbows, but it was in large part based on the fact that the Jets were bringing pressure on their pass rush. So, you know, I think one thing that we also have to focus in this game as well is that Brees Hall is not going to be playing for the Jets. He has, he's got a torn ACL, so he's out for the year. You got Michael Carter that's replacing him. And I think that there's definitely some ample opportunities for him to maybe Don't forget get James Robinson. Jumps. Forgot about him as well. So, you know, that's definitely a nice little one-two combo punch that they have in their backfield. It would have been, I mean, if Brees Hall didn't go down, I don't think they would have made the trade for James Robinson. But despite that, I think there's definitely some opportunities for that Jets defense to be able to get, you know, good chunk plays on the ground, five, six, seven yards, a carry. But it just kind of depends on what sort of level that the Patriots defense is going to play at. Because, I mean, the last game that we saw the Patriots play in was against the Indianapolis Colts. And, I mean, they put on one of the best defensive performances that I've seen the entire year, getting nine sacks, limiting the Colts to only three points. Granted, I know the Colts had their issues. Sorry, Kev, I'm not rubbing salt in the wound here. It's just, you know, that was the last time we saw the Patriots play stellar defense. And, I mean, it was one of the best defensive performances that we've seen all year. So, not only that, you got Matt Judon, who's having just a stellar season. He already has over 10 sacks. He's leading the league in sacks if I remember the stats correctly. So the Jets got to be careful here because if Matt Judon gets in the backfield and really starts wreaking havoc on Zach Wilson, it's going to be a long day for the Jets. But I think, I think you and I have both kind of come to the same conclusion that it's going to be a competitive game. You know, it's going to be a one position game. I think when it's all settled and I think it's simply just because I listen, you know, Patriot fan speaking here is what it is. I still don't believe that, that Patriot offense has gotten to the point where they could score 25, 30 points consistently. I just haven't seen it yet. So in large part, it's really been the defense that has really carried the way for the Patriots this year. And even though they are competitive in the AFC East, just based off of a record, I still believe this team has got a long way to go. So this is not that same team from last year that was able to, to at least make a playoff appearance. I think that they have taken a step back this year. And I will say, to give the Jets credit, even though that I have them losing this game, they have taken a massive leap forward compared to what I had in the AFC East 
you know, season preview that we did, I think, back in August. So they've definitely made some good moves. And I do believe that Zach Wilson is improving from what he did last year. I think when it just comes to this matchup of Zach going up against Bill Belichick and that defense, I think it's very similar to what Sam Darnold went through when he was a member of the Jets. Oh boy, we've seen ghosts. And I think that could be a very similar type of situation that's going on with Zach. It's just that Zach hasn't actually said it. But the amount of interceptions that he's had against the Patriots is really kind of troubling if you're looking at it from a Jets perspective. But, no, it'll be a fun game. The AFC East, like you said, Kev, it's a really, really competitive division. It's going to be very interesting to see how that division plays itself out throughout the rest of November, December, and then early the early parts of January. So who would have thought that the, the Bills would be in third place at this point behind the Dolphins and the Jets? Not me. So I didn't see it. So I still think the Bills are the better team out of all of them, but we shall see how things transpire over the next couple of weeks or so. True. So with that said, we got a really solid NFC battle that's going to feature the Dallas Cowboys and the Minnesota Vikings. Just to kind of give you guys a quick preview of this game, I kind of already did one at the top. I'll just kind of reiterate re- reiterate it here. Uh, the Cowboys, um, they're in a competitive NFC East, but they had a very difficult loss to the Green Bay Packers last week. In my mind, they kind of choked that game away in the fourth quarter. But still a good team nonetheless. They're looking to bounce back from last week's loss when they go up against the Minnesota Vikings. And when it comes to the Vikings, they're coming off the game of the year. Beat the Bills 33-30 to in overtime. They are tied with the Philadelphia Eagles for the best record, not only in the NFC, but in the NFL. And they are looking to improve their record to 9-1 and if they're able to beat the Cowboys this upcoming weekend. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, in what's going to be a great game between the Cowboys and the Vikings this weekend, who do you think is going to come out on top and why? Well, I mean, let's just be honest. We've already said this between the both of us. Dallas choked that game last week, and that was against Alan Lazard, and a, a countless random group of nobodies, right? No disrespect to the wide receiving core of Green Bay. The secondary of Dallas was just unable to guard Christian Watson and so many other players throughout that second half, or should I say throughout that fourth quarter. We're talking about Justin fucking Jefferson right now. The guy that the Buffalo Bills could not stop. The guy that what seemed to be nobody could stop outside of Darius Slay and Jeff Okuda in the week after. I, He's been on an absolute tear. He's been unguardable. So unless... Dallas is going to completely take him out of the equation, which I believe all defenses attempt to do. I don't think it's possible. I mean, Trayvon can can follow him the entire game. I still think he's going to get big plays. I still think he's going to get big chunks. I still think that Adam Thielen's going to be huge. The acquisition of TJ Hawkinson in the middle of the field is huge. Dalvin Cook hopefully gets some momentum and continues the game that he had against Buffalo in that second half and carries suit throughout the regular game, throughout the regular season and throughout this primetime game. And by primetime, I mean... 430 big game against Dallas you know this is for uh to move forward to nine and one and you know I'm trying to hype up Kirk Cousins because as long as it's not after eight o'clock I'm pretty sure this is the most prime time that Kirk is going to get uh but I just I can't this is usually the time in the season where Dallas starts to unfold it's like every year Dallas starts off like oh shit here they come like oh shit maybe the Cowboys are for and then it just falls apart Their defense was the staple factor that was keeping this team together for the course of this season, especially when Dak was out. And the defense unraveled last week against Aaron Rodgers and the struggling Packers. So it's like that doesn't leave me much faith to stop what looks to be an unstoppable offense in the Minnesota Vikings if you're letting up 
30 points to the freaking Green Bay Packers. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying, I think Minnesota gained enough momentum. I think that they gave themselves enough confidence. They're 4-0 at home. And again, with Dallas's history just showing that they typically try to crumble or start to crumble in the, the third quarter of the you know four-quarter season, I... I don't know, man. I, I, I really can't have any faith in them. I know that Tony Pollard's been carrying the load offensively with in terms of running the ball. I know that Dak Prescott has been relatively solid since he's been back from his injury. Some good games, some bad games, and he played relatively well um, in the first half of that game, but he found a way to turn it around and just... It, I don't even know, man. It just The Cowboys just do it to themselves. The narrative kind of sits for itself. It just... I don't have anything to say good about them aside from... Tony Pollard, I mean, realistically, I mean, CeeDee Lamb's been having one hell of a season as well. I mean, because he's getting his targets. He's making the best out of his opportunities. And I think that, you know, this is going to be one of those games where it's like they are looking for a second receiver. I think they need that second guy to step up. It's obviously not been Michael Gallup this year. And I think that they're looking to acquire Odell Beckham Jr. I don't know if that's going to be a good source to rely on, someone who's torn his ACL twice. It's... Dallas is sputtering right now. They're looking to hold on to whatever relevance they can. They're trying to keep up in the NFC East because of Philadelphia being as good as they are. And, of course, the um, the, uh, the Giants have won last week as well. So, overall, I got Minnesota winning this one probably by a touchdown or so. I will take Minnesota 28-21. I think that just the, the combined forces of Justin Jefferson and the remainder of that offense is just going to be too much for Dallas's defense to combat against. And I think that Kirk Cousins takes that next step to push them into nine and one. Yeah, Kev, I mean, I agree with you 100% on this one. I got the Vikings winning this one as well. I think when I look at that game last week that the Vikings had against the Bills, it was by far and away it's the best season is the best regular season game I've seen so far. And there's been some good ones that we've seen, but by and large, it was just based off of the fact that Despite the fact that the Vikings were down 27-10 to 10 in the second half against the Bills, didn't let them face them. They were able to bounce back relatively quickly. I mean, Dalvin Cook had a, an 80-yard, 81-yard uh, scamper for a touchdown that kind of got him back into it. And then they were able to pick off Josh Allen in the red zone. They were able to score a touchdown after that. And then you know they were just able to move the ball up and down the field effectively. And then Justin Jefferson comes down with that insane ridiculous one-handed catch on a fourth and 18 to keep the drive alive. Granted, it didn't result in a touchdown on that drive. Kirk Cousins got stuffed at the one-yard line on a QB sneak, but the defense was able to recover a fumble by Josh Allen, put it up 30-27, to 27. and despite the fact that they gave up a field goal in 30 seconds to Josh Allen and the Bills' offense, the Vikings were able to bounce back right in overtime, able to put a field goal on the board, and then they shut it down in defensive terms with being able to intercept Josh Allen that ended the game. And I think when it goes into this game against the Cowboys, Kev, I agree with you. I think they're on cloud nine as far as just momentum is concerned. And I don't know how Dallas's defense is going to be able to stack up against this Vikings offense. Just because when I look at the Vikings offense, Kev, like when it comes to Justin Jefferson, he's probably the best receiver in the game or he's been one of the most productive receivers that we've seen this year. And I don't see that slowing down in any way, shape, or form. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes down with 10 or 11 catches and has somewhere in between 125 to 150 yards receiving at a touchdown or, or two, simply just because he was able to have one of the best games that he's had this season against arguably the best defense in the league last week in the Bills. And 
the Cowboys, even though they've had a relatively good defense this year, they got exposed by Green Bay last week. And, you know, you tie that into the fact that they have Adam Thielen. TJ Hawkinson is getting a decent amount of targets. He's getting probably somewhere between seven to eight targets per game. Kirk has really made it a point of emphasis to get him the ball consistently throughout the game. I wouldn't be surprised if Kirk kind of goes back into that well against Dallas in this matchup. So from the Vikings offense perspective, I'm definitely expecting them to put up somewhere around say 25 to 30 points in this game. And then when it comes to Dallas's offense, even though they did, did lose to green Bay last week, the offense was still able to produce granted. There were times where some interceptions by Dak Prescott kind of put the team back a little bit, but they were still able to put up 28 points. Honestly, they should have beaten the Packers last week, but they choked in that fourth quarter and then butchered it in overtime as well. So, you know, granted, you can't win them all, but that was a game that more than likely they should have won. And I think going into this game, you know, momentum is not really on their side here, simply just because they know that they probably screwed up big time last week. And with them going up against what I would consider a superior team in the Vikings, I got to give Minnesota the edge here. Granted, I'm not too high on Minnesota's defense, and I think that Minnesota's defense is going to get exposed against this Cowboys offense led by Dak Prescott, Tony Pollard out of the backfield, and CeeDee Lamb, and maybe Michael Gallup in the wide receiving court. But I don't think it's going to be enough for the Cowboys to overtake the Vikings in this game. I think this is going to be a fun game, though, nonetheless. I think there's going to be a lot of points in this game, simply just because I think both defenses are going to get exposed in this game. So if I had to put a final score on this one, I'm going to say that the Vikings win this one 31 to 27. I have a little bit more faith in the Vikings offense and granted take that with a, it's kind of crazy for me to say that just because Kirk Cousins is usually somebody that I don't have a lot of faith in to begin with, but with the way that he's been playing, his connection with Justin Jefferson is elite right now. And you look at that with Dak Prescott, he's been having some turnover issues the last couple of weeks. If Dallas is going to win this game, I think it's really going to be Dak Prescott having a relatively solid game and then Tony Pollard, you know, popping off and getting somewhere around 100 yards rushing and then probably having, you know, four to six catches and then CeeDee Lamb, you know, winning those one-on-one battles against Minnesota secondary to put up, you know, eight, nine receptions for maybe a buck 25 and a touchdown or two. But I think to me, I think that the Cowboys are going to be a little bit more turnover prone in this game. I think the Vikings are going to be able to take advantage of it. And I think when it gets to the fourth quarter, I think the Vikings are going to be in a better position to put points on the board than the Cowboys. So I got the Vikings winning this one. They'll improve to nine and one on the year. And that's just how I see this game playing out. I mean, there's, there's the potential, right? For this being a shootout. I'm not yeah. saying that Minnesota's defense isn't good. I'm not saying that Dallas's defense can't bounce back. Not, not saying that at all, but when you look at it, Dak Prescott has the ability to put up easily 28, 35 points. That yeah. offense is high-powered. We all know that, it, especially if Zeke is playing and they're able to split carries with Tony Pollard, the run game can keep people honest. And, you know, CeeDee Lamb is a nightmare for one-on-one matchups. I mean, Patrick Peterson's having himself a pretty solid season, but, I mean, CeeDee Lamb has proven that he can be, when given the right targets, that he can be a very consistent wide receiver in this league. So I'm just looking at this and I'm saying both teams have the opportunity here to put up at least 28 points, at least in my opinion. So it, it could very well be a shootout. I just I just don't have faith this time of the year in Dallas after the collapse that they had last week. And listen, when, when Minnesota's as, 
as hot as they are, when they've been receiving the scrutiny that they've been receiving all season. Oh, you haven't played anybody, and the one team you did play, you lost, and blah, blah, blah. They're still nine and they're still eight and one. That's still a hard feat to go through. That's still something that you know it takes time to accomplish, and it takes a team to continue to win. You still have to win the damn game, you know. And yeah. it's like Kyle said last week, the week before that, and the week before that. The difference between this team from last year is they're winning the close games and they're finding ways to get the bottom line W. And they beat the best team in the league at the time in the Buffalo Bills. Like that, that offense is just. So elite that defense is still in the top statistical categories of the top five defenses in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And you know, for Kirk to go in there and do what they needed to do, I think that that speaks a lot of volume about you know the characteristics of this team. And it and it takes one win like this to spark a team to say, you know what, like we can we can fucking do this. Like yeah. this is real. And you play a good team like Dallas, and if you find a way to win, that's another big win under your belt to say. All right, this is this is legit. Like, yo, people gotta stop sleeping on us. And dude, the confidence boost that this game could give them, bro, low key, and I say this low key, Minnesota could ride this wave into the postseason and be one of the hottest teams in the in the in the playoffs. Because they're winning the division, there's no question. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the division is pretty much wrapped up at this point just because I don't They should think... clinch in the next couple of weeks, if I'm not mistaken. Because especially th- if Green Bay loses this. Yeah, because I I mean, I believe the Packers are the second best team in that division, and they're well, they're four and six right now. We'll see what happens between them and the Titans. But yeah, I think the Vikings, if they just keep staying consistent, they'll probably have this division locked up probably within the first or second week in December. So, you know, granted, we still have to get through Thanksgiving and, you know, the Vikings still yeah. got to be on their A game. And, you know, this is not going to be a cakewalk for them by any stretch of the imagination. This is going to be a very good game for them. And mind you, they got tested last week and. You know, they did end up passing, but they got to, you know, go through another test in Dallas. And Dallas is off. It's like you said, bro, they could put up points. And I know that they lost last week to the Packers. But, you know, despite that, they were almost able to put up 30 points in that game against Green Bay. And Green Bay's defense, do not do not sleep on their defense. Their defense has been known to play pretty solid football, despite the fact that the Packers as a whole have relatively struggled the entire year. That defense has kept them in it by and large, in some of the games that they've even lost. But, no, when it comes to the Vikings, I mean, there was a reason why I put them number one in our power rankings uh, this past week. To me, they earned it. They played up to the best team in the league, and they ended up winning. And in the fashion that they did it, you know, really all the drama associated with the fact that Justin Jefferson was able to come down with that huge catch on a 4th and 18 with one of the best catches that I've seen within like the last couple of years that that catch, I think is very similar to what Odell did uh, just as far as just sheer difficulty, as far as making the catch is concerned, but to do it in the circumstances that he did it in, I think that was even another level in his favor, but overall, I mean, the Vikings have really impressed me as far as being able to win those one possession games. Like you said last year and the year before that they lost those games this year, they are winning them. And there have been games where they've won where it hasn't really been in convincing fashion, but a dub is a dub nonetheless. Now, I don't know what's going to happen to them when they get to the playoffs. We'll see what happens. But, you know, 10, 11 weeks into the season, I think they've earned that number one spot in the NFL. Like like I said, they got to be able to keep it up and maintain it. But, yeah, that, I mean, dude, that was a huge win for them last week. 
I didn't think they were going to get it because I thought the Bills were going to be able to bounce back from that really bad loss to the Jets the week before. And it looked like the Bills were going to win that game, but they screwed it up in the fourth quarter. Josh Allen got picked off a couple times, not just in overtime, but he had one in the fourth quarter. And I think by and large, I think the Vikings were able to just use that as fuel and momentum to kind of get back into the game and ended up coming out with a win. So we'll see what happens with them going into this Cowboys game. But overall, Vikings have earned a lot of respect. So there's a reason why they're number one in our power rankings. And we'll see whether or not that they can maintain that spot. That's facts. uh, I mean, to give you guys an update right now, it is two minutes to go in the third quarter for Tennessee and Green Bay. Uh, Tennessee's up 20 to 15. Uh, Green Bay's currently going for a two-point conversion to make it a one-score game. And snap to Aaron, flipped up to Aaron Jones, scored. So it's 20 to 17. Uh, with two minutes to go, so we'll keep you guys abreast with that. In the uh, third quarter, like in the third quarter, back. right? Third quarter, third quarter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, just making sure. Yeah, so we're uh, we're, we're 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 watching. Green Bay's putting up a fight. It did look like they were kind of checked out. There was a couple drop passes on this drive, especially to Watson and and Lazard. You could see the visibility and frustration in Aaron Rodgers. It's just you feel bad for the guy to an extent because it's like they're just they're genuinely dropping passes, and it's like yeah. We're talking 11 weeks into the season. Like, get your shit together. You're a professional wide receiver in the Dude, I I don't know the number behind it because I could be 100% wrong. But from the highlights and games that I have seen for Green Bay, they have to lead the league as a team in drops. Like, it's, it is probably, every week consistently. Well, and to bring up an example with the Patriots, since I'm wearing the shirt, I remember when the Patriots went through a very similar issue when Brady was, Brady was with the Patriots in 2013. And they brought in guys like Aaron Dobson. They had Kembrell Tompkins. And really, Aaron Dobson kind of became known as Aaron Dropson with the amount of drops that he had consistently with the Patriots. Kembrell Tompkins ended up being one of their better receivers. He was an undrafted free agent, if I remember correctly. He ended up being probably the better receiver out of the two. But it kind of just goes back to that issue of just inconsistency from your receiving core when it comes to really young receivers. And Aaron's going through that same thing right now. Granted, it's not Aaron Dobson and Kembrell Tompkins. you got Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs. Alan Lazard, I, I, I kind of put in a separate category because he's been there for a couple of years. So he at least has some sort of connection with Rodgers already. But when it comes to Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs, I mean, these guys have just gotten thrown straight into the fire. And they got to make the most of it. I, know, I don't think Rom- Romeo Dobbs is playing in this game. I think he was already no. ruled out. Yep. So, you know, and, and I'm glad that Christian Watson... He was able to get a, a little bit of shine. You know, I, I know that he's had a bunch of drops this year. And don't get me wrong, like, you know, everybody deserves criticism when it's justified. But it was nice to see him be able to produce the way that he did for Green Bay when they beat the Cowboys last week. I, Kev, if I remember correctly, he had what, three touchdowns in that game? Three touchdowns, four catches, 100, 100 yards. So, and, and, I mean, and I am like numbers. And I imagine for him that had to be kind of a sigh of relief that he was able to produce for them and not, you know, be a reason to why maybe Green Bay lost the game with just drop passes here and there. So, you know, and I'm not going to crucify the guy. The guy's a rookie receiver, for God's sakes. You know, I understand that the guy's not Justin Jefferson, though people expect him to produce like him or at least produce something similar. It's not going to happen. You know, not every receiver pops off like that where. You know, Justin Jefferson, as soon as he hits the league, you could make a case he's like a top 10 receiver. Some guys have to really kind of get into it. They got to 
play a season or two to get adjusted to it. And then maybe they'll take leaps and bounds in their career. But no, I, I'm glad that Christian's, you know, getting a little bit more confidence and that Aaron's actually, you know, trying to connect with him on a more consistent basis as far as throwing him passes. So we'll kind of see how it goes from there. But Kev, I think up next we got a, we got a solid AFC West battle that's going to take place on Sunday night. Oh, we definitely do. And that is going to be the Chiefs visiting SoFi Stadium to go up against the Chargers. The Chiefs are 7-2, and two, solidifying themselves at the best as the best team in the AFC. The Chargers continue to go and battle every single injury you can possibly imagine, underutilization of players, overcomplication of the playbook. I mean, you could. there's a list of reasons as to why the Chargers are underperforming this season but nevertheless AFC West matchups are must-see television so Kyle to kick this one to you do the Chiefs continue to run the AFC West this year and dominate against the Chargers or can the Chargers bring up some form of dignity and and be competitive and fight against the Chiefs Kev I'm gonna break it down to you like this my heart is telling me pick the Chargers my head is telling me pick the Chiefs the reason why I'm, I'm mentioning the Chargers with my heart here is I think they're finally getting back some decent players on their offense. You know, Keenan Allen's been dealing with a hamstring issue the entire year. Mike Williams is dealing with a high ankle sprain. I mean, DeAndre Carter's been dealing with rib issues. Uh, Gerald Everett's been dealing with a groin injury. But going into the weekend, all of these guys are actually practicing. Granted, it's on a limited participation basis, but there is a outside chance that all the guys that I just mentioned could potentially be playing for the Chargers. And I think if they're able to hit the field for the Chargers on Sunday night, I think it gives them a huge confidence boost because then at least they have the requisite pieces to be able to put up a fight against that Chiefs team. Because when I look back to that 49ers game that the Chargers had this past weekend, they only lost that game by six points. And if they were able to have the pieces at their disposal to go out there, there's a very good chance that they would have beaten the 49ers last week. So the Chargers definitely showed me that they had a lot of heart. Granted, it came in a losing effort. But I think if they have their pieces here, I think they could really give the Chiefs a run for their money. But like I said, I want to go with my heart, but I'm going with my head. I'm going with my brain on this one. I'm going with the Chiefs. Granted, I know the Chiefs are probably going to be down Juju Smith-Schuster this week. He suffered a hellacious hit last week against the Jaguars got knocked out on the field is still in concussion protocol. So we are not going to see him this weekend, but I, I got to look at the chiefs offense. And even though they're not going to have Juju at their disposal, you got Kadarius Tony. And I think Kadarius Tony is definitely going to see an increase in his overall production here, just because they're going to need the production to come from somewhere outside of Travis Kelsey and McCole Hardman. So I wouldn't be surprised if Kadarius Tony, uh, Kadarius Tony, really becomes a focal piece of this offense until Juju Smith-Schuster comes back. And I think by and large, you know, you look at what they have in their backfield with uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I mean, this team is solid offensively, and they've just been very consistent this year. And I don't really see this offense slowing down in any way, shape, or form unless Patrick Mahomes starts turning the ball over. So there have been times where he's gotten picked off this year. You could look back to the Bills game a couple weeks ago where he threw the game-losing interception. But... By and large, Patrick Mahomes is at the top of the MVP leaderboard. We're halfway through the season. He's a big piece why the Chiefs have one of, if not the best record in the AFC, and there's a very good chance that they could end up with the number one seed 
if they just continue the consistency in winning games. And I think when it comes to this game specifically, they're going on the road. It's going to be a very interesting environment. But I think that when you look at what the Chiefs have done in recent memory against the Chargers, they've largely been successful. And it's simply just because I think Patrick Mahomes has the confidence to be able to beat that Chargers defense. And just to put it bluntly, this Chargers defense has been banged up the entire year. They don't have J.C. Jackson. They don't have Joey Bosa. Granted, you got Derwin James. You got Kyle Van Noy in your linebacking core. But the Chargers defense is just down too many players right now. And I don't think that they're going to be able to rise to the occasion to slow down this KC offense, despite the fact that Juju's not going to be available for the Chiefs. So when it's all said and done, I got the Chiefs winning this one. I do think it is going to be a competitive game, though. If the Chargers were able to keep it a one-possession game against the 49ers without basically half of their offensive roster, I think there's a very good chance that they could replicate a similar type of outcome. I think it's just going to be a losing effort just because I think that KC is a little bit better than them at this point. But I will say the Chargers could be in a good position moving forward after this game if everybody if everybody's able to stay healthy for the rest of the year. I think they dropped this one, though. I got Patrick Mahomes and that Chiefs offense putting up probably 31, maybe even 34 points. And I think the Chargers, I think they're going to put up a fight. I'm going to say they put up 28 points. But I think they fall short. I think they lose by six points. And the Chiefs just continue their dominance in the AFC West this year. So, Kev, floor is yours on this one. I mean, low-key, I think this one could be a route. I, I, I'm not even trying to be insulting to the Chargers. I just, I've had no faith in them since they started going down with the injuries. Like the second Joey went down, honestly, I was like, damn. And then when I started seeing JC get torched, I was like, damn again. <laughs> and then obviously Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, you already alluded all the injuries, right? So then what does that do? That puts all of the weight of this team on Justin Herbert. And without targets to throw to, people are starting to scrutinize and say he's not that good. He's overrated. Da 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 da. It, when you don't have weapons to throw to, when the team is not performing, when the free agents that you brought in in the offseason get hurt and potentially are ruled out for the season, what are you supposed to do? As a quarterback, you always take the front end of the blame, and then it's the head coach. Or vice versa, depending on who you ask. But there, there, there's nothing you can do to combat injuries. There's always next man up. There's guys in the practice squad. There's guys that are you know, the career backups that have been relatively solid their whole career. That they don't always hit. That next man up method is not always applicable because they just they, some of these players are irreplaceable. Mike Williams, tall, catch radius receiver, fast, separation. I mean, he is a very dynamic playmaker. That's hard to replace between physical stature and capabilities. Keenan Allen, one of the best route runners in football. We all know that he knows how to separate. Great catch, uh, great, uh, great catch percentage, not a high drop ratio. I mean, he can catch the ball pretty much anywhere you put it in front of him as long as it's within his grab. Then, of course, on the defensive side, elite pass rusher, Joey Bosa, elite corner, J.C. Jackson. It's, these are very, very, these aren't like fifth, sixth round picks that are like just coming out of the woodworks that are kind of like solid. These are like, these are pro bowlers. These are all pro caliber players. It is hard to replace an all pro player. Let's just be blunt. So aside from that, I think that even if they were to get these players back, it is going to be on a limited basis. You're not going to want to put Mike Williams out there for 60 offensive plays. You're not going to want to put Keenan Allen, who's already aggravated that hamstring injury once before, from coming back too soon, and he's not going to come out there, and he's not going to play 55 snaps. So again, even if those players are available, it will be at a limited basis. Now, for the Chiefs, they're running on all cylinders. As long as you have Pat Mahomes, 
Travis Kelsey, I think they'll be fine. I mean, I'm not trying to say that Travis Kelsey is the only source of offense because you have seen that in his limited time in KC, Kadarius Toney has provided to be uh, a little bit of a spark. Juju Smith-Schuster started to come out. Miko Hardman, unfortunately, got put on injured reserve today, so he will be out a minimum of four games. So we will see what happens with that. But the running game for KC is kind of like the biggest concern for me because Clyde Obersalaire has fallen to, I think, second or third on the depth chart because they don't really utilize him as well, uh, as much. His yards per carry aren't as high, and I just... I don't think that he was ever going to be anything big coming out of LSU. Uh, aside from his rookie year, he's fallen apart. He can't stay healthy. And, you know, whenever they do call on him, he's not really somebody that has been able to put up consistent numbers aside from his rookie season. But when it comes to Pat Mahomes versus Justin Herbert, it's Pat Mahomes. When it comes to the offense that currently exists as healthy as they are in Kansas City versus the offense that's currently struggling to stay healthy in L.A., I got to go with the Chiefs. Now, the defense of the Chiefs has been better than the Chargers all year long. So I'm going to ride with the Chiefs. And that's why I think with everything that I just alluded to, this has the potential to be a blowout by 14 of 17 points. The Chiefs are one of the best teams in the league, if not the best team, depending on who you ask. Now, I know they struggled against Tennessee, but when you have Derrick Henry on the other side of the ball and Derrick Henry continues to take away time of possession from Patrick Mahomes, get the secondary tired, create play action for Ryan Tannehill, it, 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 it was, well, actually it wasn't even Ryan Tannehill, it was Malik Willis, believe it or not. So it was like, they had their struggles as well this year, so let's not make it seem like they haven't come close to losing. They've had a lot of close games, especially the uh, Vegas game where they won by one point. I just think that because it's an AFC West matchup, because I think that the Chargers just have too many ailing injuries and issues, I think the Chiefs make a statement this week and they say, you know what, we got to shake this narrative that, that, that we can't beat good teams or, or that we can't beat good teams by a lot of points. I think that this is where Pat Mahomes takes the advantage puts himself in the front of the MVP without a doubt. Not that he already isn't, but it's like it's you, you, sometimes you need a game where you, you separate yourself. You put a line in the dirt and you say, I'm him. I think this is the week that Pat does it. I would agree with you if the Chargers personnel were still really dinged up. And I understand that, you know, you look at Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. I mean, those are some of the best receivers that Justin Herbert has at his disposal they haven't really been able to hit the field consistently this year. At least for them, they are practicing on a limited participation. And to me, that's why I kind of had this game as a little bit of a closer matchup than you have it, simply just because I'm basically assuming that Keenan Allen and Mike Williams have a very good chance to play this week. Now, how effective they'll be, I have no idea. We'll kind of see how they're able to reintegrate into the offense when they hit the field. But I think with the issues that they've been having, most of them being injury related, I think that they'll be able to put up a better fight against the chiefs than they have maybe, you know, really the last couple of weeks. And I got to give them a lot of credit for just being able to stay competitive against the 49ers. Cause I, I think if we, did we talk about that game last week about the, about the Chargers and the 49ers. Did we have a preview for that one? We had a, I think we had a segment on that one, if I'm not mistaken. Because I remember, I think we we were the mindset that like the 49ers were really going to kind of run away with that game. Simply yeah. just because of the injury issues that were plaguing the 49ers. Not the it won by 10, but I mean, it wasn't necessarily a route. Jimmy Garoppolo didn't have a passing touchdown, if I'm not mistaken. I think he only had a rushing score. I think if I have the score here. No, the Chargers only won by, the, the, the 49ers only won by six points. It wasn't twenty seven seventeen. It was twenty two to sixteen. Oh, I guess I misread. So yeah, and 
you know, and that was despite the fact that I thought the 49ers really looked like a much better team. It's just that the Chargers were able to kind of stay in it. Yeah. But no, I mean, to me, when it comes to the Chargers this week, I think that they're heading in the right direction. We'll see whether or not that these guys can stay healthy for the rest of the year. And that's why I was kind of making the point of, I don't think this week it's going to set in for the Chargers as far as like trying to get back into a, a groove and get into a rhythm. I think it's probably going to be after this game. Because when I look at their schedule, so after the Chiefs, they play the Cardinals and the Raiders. Those are two winnable games. And I think that you know they go on a two-game win streak when they go up against the Dolphins. Mind you, they will be playing the Dolphins at home. That's definitely a game for them to really kind of put themselves to a test. And we'll see whether or not that they can you know, rise to the occasion. But it all kind of circles back to, can they stay healthy? Defensively, we know that they can't. Offensively, it's been inconsistent. And I think in this game, even though they might have the requisite pieces to be able to possibly play a competitive match against the Chiefs, I just don't think it's going to happen this week. So, I think once the Chargers get this game behind them though I think they're I think they're set up for a nice little run here because really outside of the Dolphins one of their tougher games after that's going to be against the Titans and then they finish up against the Colts the Rams and the Broncos there's some winnable games for the Chargers here agree to, to close out the year not going to be enough to be able to overtake the Chiefs I don't think that's going to happen but I think the Chargers are definitely they're in a good place right now they, they definitely have some winnable games uh, for the rest of the year. So we'll kind of see how it plays out for them. But with that said, we are going to transition to our last NFL game of discussion. And that is going to be the Monday night matchup that we have featuring the San Francisco 49ers and the Arizona Cardinals. Just to give you guys a quick preview of this game, you got the 49ers sitting in second place in the NFC West with a five and four record. You got the Arizona Cardinals, that are sitting at a four and six record. They've largely been inconsistent this year. They just haven't been that same team that we've seen throughout the last couple of years. Just they haven't been able to really win in any sort of consistent manner, but they are looking to bounce to a five and six record if they're able to knock off the 49ers this week. So this will definitely be an interesting game when this take, when this game takes place on Monday. So Kev, to get this one to you on this Monday night matchup, we got the 49ers going up against the Cardinals. Got a really solid NFC West battle here. Who do you think is going to come out on top and why? Dude, this is this this one's an easy one for me because of the injury report for the Cardinals. Let me give you guys, as of right now, it's Thursday, and you guys will hear this on Friday. The injury report reads as follows. Buda Baker didn't practice. Byron Murphy Jr. didn't practice. Colt McCoy, limited. Kyler Murray, limited. DeAndre Hopkins didn't practice. Zach Ertz out for this season. Marquise Brown on injured reserve still. Marcus Golden, questionable. I mean, right then and there, you have two important pieces on defense. You have two quarterbacks on the injury report, and Kyler Murray's probably not going to play. Then you got DeAndre Hopkins nursing his hamstring again, similar to what he had last year. Zach Ertz, one of their better targeted receivers in terms of within the tight end room that's always been a reliable source for Kyler Murray. He's out as well for the year. They don't have depth. They don't have options. I mean, the number two receiver on that team was obviously Marquise Brown, and he's been out for a couple of weeks already. If DeAndre is going to be limited, who the hell is the third-string quarterback going to throw to if Colt's not able to play? Now, I think that they're leaning towards playing Colt because he's limited with a knee injury as opposed to Kyler dealing with the same hamstring he's been dealing with for the last two weeks. I just, am I supposed to have faith in Colt McCoy to beat the 49ers? 
You know, like he barely beat the Chargers last week. You know what I'm saying? Like Kyle corrected me. I thought it was a 10-point game. It ended up being a six-point game. They're, I don't think that he can combat against Nick Bosa and those boys. I don't think it's going to be close. I think this is probably going to be a blowout because, again, you're you're basically playing one of the stronger teams when healthy in the NFC against a very weakened, battered, and bruised Arizona team. And we all know Kyler Murray is probably playing Call of Duty right now because Warzone 2 just came out the other day. So it's not like he's practicing to the fullest extent that he possibly can. But I can't put any faith in Arizona right now with the injuries that they have. Like, they're limited in personnel. They haven't been playing well, even when these players are on the field. What's to give me faith that this defense is going to be able to stop Jimmy Garoppolo, Debo Samuel, uh, Kittle, CMC? I mean, the, the, the list of what this offense has available to them has just exceeded so much expectation as to what Kyle Shanahan has available to him. Now, I will say that they have not lived up to the hype in terms of offensively. I mean, they only put up 22 points last week. And once again, when you have players like that, you should be scoring upwards of 25, if not 30 points a game because of the offensive prowess and capabilities that these individual players bring to the table. Jimmy Garoppolo's got to play a little bit better. The defense has got to play consistent like they have been over the last couple of weeks. But again, with an injured team like Arizona, with a faltering team like Arizona, I don't think that they're going to be able to even scratch the surface of coming close to beating the 49ers. I think this one's going to be another route, like I said, with the last game. Hopefully this offense can get into a good groove in terms of San Francisco, and I'm hoping they can score upwards of 28 points, if not a little bit more, just for my confidence. Um, just to kind of, for the, like I said, for the sake of like having faith in this team, I really want to see people perform. And again, I'm a, I'm a big Jimmy Garoppolo defender here, so I'd really like to see him have a big comeback game. 275 yards, maybe even scratch 300, two, three touchdowns. And I would love CMC to have a, 100 yards on the ground as well. So I'm going to go with the 49ers. I think they're going to have a couple of takeaways here from Colt McCoy. And uh, I think this is going to be a blowout. Now, I do have to mention, I forgot to mention it in the lead up. This game is not taking place in Arizona. It's playing it's being played in Mexico City. So okay. so the one thing that we kind of have to factor when it comes to playing in Mexico City is clearly the altitude. Cuz I think if I remember correctly, I think Mexico City sits at like 8,000 feet above sea level. So don't be surprised if you see throughout this game where you see the the offensive linemen or the defensive linemen really kind of grabbing for those oxygen masks simply just because the air gets pretty thin up there. So it's one thing to play in Denver where you're playing at 5200 feet it's another thing entirely when you add another half mile on top of that and you're playing at an elevated altitude or elevation i should say in mexico city but kev I, there's not really much for me to add here i think the 49ers run away with this one relatively easily and it's like you said kev these guys with the arizona cardinals are just banged up with injuries and it's really been probably one of the biggest impediments to their season i mean you know it didn't help when deandre hopkins missed the first six games due to the suspension but i just don't really see this arizona offense really being able to do that much against the 49ers the 49ers have one of the best defenses in the nfl they were able to contain a justin herbert led offense granted the chargers were missing some key personnel last week when they went up against san francisco but they held the chargers to 16 points so you're going up against a team that's riddled with injuries, not only in your wide receiving core, but in the tight end room, in the quarterback room. This is just, it's being set up as like a complete runaway of a game 
in favor of San Francisco here. And when you look at San Francisco's offense, yeah, Kev, it's definitely apparent to me that they've probably underperformed compared to probably the expectations that we had for them. But I think this is probably a game where it could be like a tune-up game for them. This could be an opportunity where you see Christian McCaffrey really, you know, insert himself as one of the best running backs in the game and really get more involved in this 49ers offense. Granted, he's only been there for a couple of weeks, but you could tell he's starting to gain a little bit more confidence week in and week out now that he's a full-time member of the 49ers. And then I want to see Debo get a little bit more involved. Uh, last week, you could tell the Chargers did a really good job being able to slow down Debo Samuel just because he didn't have that big of an impact for San Francisco. Now, I think when it comes to their offense, they definitely need Debo to be able to produce at a high clip. And I think for their sake, they're going to feed him the ball. I think Jimmy's going to get the going to get Debo the ball a lot more consistently than he was able to against the Chargers. And I think not only that, I think George Kittle's going to have a relatively solid game. Uh, don't be surprised if Brandon Ayuk and Jawan Jennings also come up with some big plays throughout the game against the Cardinals. But overall, I think when you just look at both teams from an injury report perspective, there's no way that I think the Cardinals are going to be able to be effective in this game simply just because they're dealing with way too many injuries here. So I think as far as I see it, man, I think the 49ers are going to win this one by two plus touchdowns. I think they're going to be able to put up around 25, maybe 30 points. I got to see a little bit more production from them offensively just because they have struggled to really be explosive as far as putting points on the board. But I think this is a game where they have a very good chance to be able to do that. And against a banged up team like the Cardinals, it's like I said, I think this is like a tune-up game for them. So I see the score being, I'm going to say the 49ers score 30 in this one. I'm going to say they win 30-17, to 30-16, somewhere around there. Uh, you know, with the win, the 49ers would bounce up to a 6-4 and four record. And, you know, they put themselves kind of back in discussion of possibly making some noise as far as being the number one team in the NFC West. We'll see what happens with the Seahawks but you know when it looks like the 49ers are starting to nip at their heels you know this could really kind of set up for a nice finish between the Seahawks and the 49ers but the 49ers going to go out there and win first and I do think that they will be able to do that on this Monday night matchup when we see the 49ers go up against the Cardinals it's just how I see it gotta be honest here this is this not final straw, but this is where I start to get frustrated with San Francisco. They need to win this game by a lot. Not to make my prediction come true, but for the sake of... There's so many people in our comments that are like, oh my God, how could you not have the 49ers in these power rankings? Oh my God, the 49ers are one of the best teams in the league. The people that they have lost to, they shouldn't have lost. And, and, and then some of these games were embarrassing, the way that they lost. The games that they're winning, they're not winning by enough. You trade for CMC. You give Debo the contract extension. You bring back Jimmy Garoppolo. Like I know that Trey Lance isn't exactly here to defend himself because he's been injured, but how am I supposed to put them in that upper echelon of the NFC when you have teams that are winning close? Whether or not they're they're not as good on paper as the 49ers, the Vikings are nine and one or eight and one. The Eagles are eight and one. The Cowboys are six and three. The Giants are set. You can't argue records. You can't control schedules. The 49ers have so much talent on that offense. They should damn near be almost undefeated. Even before CMC got there. 
So again, this is a prove-it game for me for the 49ers because you're playing a battered and bruised, nowhere near healthy, struggling Arizona Cardinals team. There's no reason for you not to win this game by a comfortable margin. If you struggle against this team, I can't give you any benefit going into the playoffs in the coming months because you can't beat a, a team full of backups, second-string players, basically. How are you supposed to beat some of the best teams in the playoffs? It's not going to happen. Yeah, I think to me, like when I look back at the 49ers and some of the losses that they had, the one that really kind of stood out to me was losing to the Falcons. It was the Falcons game, 100%. Like, I mean, granted, I know the Falcons at one point were actually the number one team in the NFC South. That's another story for another day. It just kind of goes to show how bad the NFC South is. Mm -hmm. That's another story for another day. When you lose to the Falcons by two touchdowns, by two touchdowns, 28 to 14 was the score. It's unacceptable especially with that type of defense. 49ers have a top five, and that's probably putting it, that's probably putting them too low. It's probably more like a top three defense in the NFL. And, you know, I understand that they've had some letdown games this year, but I, I it's like you said, Kev, you got to see this team perform at a higher level because when they made that move for Christian McCaffrey, that's a Super Bowl type move. That's a move that could insert a team into a Super Bowl type of situation. I thought it was an unnecessary move. They didn't need that. Jeff Wilson was playing good. Elijah Mitchell was coming back in two weeks. Like That was a move of overstretching for what you wanted. And again, I know that they ended up getting some compensation in return for trading Jeff Wilson over to Miami, but it's the point of like a move like that wasn't necessary unless Jeff would have went down also. Then you're like, yeah. all right, we're down to our third string. Like Bringing in CMC was well, overkill because there's too many mouths to feed on that offense. Kittle's not performing. Debo's not performing. Ayuk has one week and then two weeks of bad. It's like Kyle has too many options, and Jimmy's not able to figure out because we all know that a lot of these players, when it comes to one-on-one separation, CMC makes most linebackers look silly. George Kittle's one of the best tight ends in football when given the opportunity. Debo Samuel is a playmaker. Yeah. And they're not playing to the standard that they should be. Well, and the thing is, I will say this. Like, I remember watching the uh, the Chargers game uh, last week when San Francisco went up against them. You know who was actually one of the biggest players for them? It wasn't Debo. It wasn't Christian McCaffrey. It wasn't George Kittle. It was Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings was able to pick up some crucial third-down conversions in that game against the Chargers. And I know that Juwan Jennings doesn't necessarily get a lot of shine when we discuss the 49ers. But I got to say, when you have somebody like that who's lower on the wide receiver chart, you know, behind Debo, behind Brandon Ayuk, and yet he's still going out there and producing in that type of manner, that just goes to show how deep of a roster that the 49ers have offensively at their disposal. Kev, I will say, though, there are times where... I know, I know Jimmy is somebody that you defend. There are times where he just doesn't do it consistently enough. I know. And look, he could definitely go out there and win you games. And I think a lot of that is probably based in part that he doesn't actively make things worse offensively as far as turning the ball over, uh, you know, like running out of the pocket and then possibly getting like intentional grounding calls to set the team back. It's just that sometimes he doesn't do enough to really get that 49ers offense to explode, to really put up 35, 40 points consistently. And it could just be that the system that Kyle Shanahan runs, they're largely predominantly a run-first team. 
They love running the football, especially when they run, they open up those run lanes. I mean, bro, those running backs, I mean, once they get that ball, man, they're freaking flying. And they have the offensive lineman personnel to be able to really get some solid run lanes. I didn't mind the trade for Christian McCaffrey just because, you know, if you were saying something like Jeff Wilson was playing well, but if he got hurt, well, it's kind of hard to to really move your personnel in a potential trade if Jeff Wilson's hurt. So I think they actually probably were able to trade him at a good time when Jeff was playing really solid for them. But when you make the move for Christian McCaffrey, it's not a slight on Jeff Wilson. It's an upgrade as far as I see it. And that's despite oh, yeah. the fact that and that's despite the fact that Christian's definitely had injury issues for years in Carolina. But I mean, if it were me, I, I would have made that trade. If you have an opportunity to upgrade at a position, you 100% have to take it as a GM. I'm just saying it wasn't something that was like of dire necessity. That's true. That's true. It's just you never know what you're going to get with Jeff Wilson's availability, though. But you could say the same thing with Christian. You could say the same yeah. thing. So I think it really just kind of comes down to which person do you think is going to be more effective in that system? Obviously, they went with Christian instead of Jeff. Yeah. And then it's like I said, there's no slight, there's no slight on Jeff. Jeff was playing solid for them. He's playing great. It's just comes with the business, bro. Comes with the territory. So, ain't lying. So, uh, Kevin, looks like I think the uh, I think the Titans are going to get this one, bro. Looks like it. Aaron Rodgers was not able to capitalize on the uh, turnover that Green Bay forced on Tennessee, and it again it just looks like miscommunication with his receivers, and he just looks to be absolutely frustrated when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, but. We got another segment to go into, so we'll give you guys one final update once we finish with this on that Thursday night game. Uh, so Kyle wanted to really talk about this, and I agree, it's something we definitely need to mention, and that's the defending champs in the NBA, the Golden State Warriors. They do not look good in any capacity. Aside from being 6-1 and at home, they are 0-8 on the road. Unacceptable. Stars like Klay Thompson. Jordan Poole, who just received a big contract. Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green. The supporting cast outside of Steph Curry has not been playing well. James Wiseman has been demoted to the G League. Someone that was supposed to elevate and make this team better when he got healthy. Kaminga has regressed, at least thus far. They lost big players on that bench, like GP2, like Juan Toscano-Anderson, and, and so many other people. So when you look at this team as it's currently constructed, when the starting five is playing well, they're one of the best teams in the NBA, and that's statistically proven. It is when that second unit gets inserted. It is when Steph comes off the floor that they are not able to perform. So, Kyle, I'm going to kick this one to you. Should the Warriors be in early season panic mode because of their inability to perform at a consistent level? I think on a scale from 1 to 10, as far as a panic meter is concerned, I'd say it's probably around a 4 or a 5. Granted, we're only in the middle part of November. There's a lot of time for the Warriors to be able to bounce back from this, what I would say is a subpar start. You know, for them to be six and nine throughout the first 15 games of the season, I think that's definitely an underwhelming result. You know, and that's despite the fact that they're coming off of a, a championship season from last year. I think when I see it, you know, as far as the issues that seem to be plaguing Golden State at this point, it's really two factors. And Kev already laid one out. One is that their bench is just not producing at a high enough clip to be able to maintain some sort of offensive consistency when the starters come back. And then on top of that, defensively, they are giving up a lot of points. And Golden State has really made it a 
point of emphasis over the last couple years of being a really solid team as far as defensive efficiency goes. And this year, it just doesn't seem to be the case. When I look at that game against the Phoenix Suns the other night, they gave up 130 points. You know, it's one thing if you give up 100 points. You know, giving up 100 points in an NBA game isn't the worst thing in the world. But when you're giving up 130 points, I mean, you're only 20 points from 150. That's definitely a bad look. And it's even a worse look when you have Steph Curry who's going out there and scoring 50 points, putting the team on his back, and yet you still lose by double digits. So, you know, obviously when it comes to what I would say the overall core of Golden State, they are getting older. You know, this is not... Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green of 2015-2016 when they were just starting to hit their dynasty run. You know, we're in 2022 going into 2023, and I do think that age is playing somewhat of a factor. I don't think it's to the point where this team is just outright regressing because of their age, but I think this is going to be a lingering issue as, you know, the farther we go along with Golden State's really solid core here with Clay, Steph, and Draymond. And we're going to have to see other guys step up. You know, Kev, like you said, you know, Jordan Poole got a huge contract extension. The same goes with Andrew Wiggins. These guys are going to have to be able to play really, consi really consistent basketball for Golden State to keep that dynasty going. And I got to see more production. I have to see more production from the bench because when it, when it comes to guys like Dante DiVincenzo, Jamichael Green, Anthony Lamb, these guys are capable of putting up points in bunches, but they have to be more consistent. And through the first 15 games of the season, they just haven't been able to do that as well as they should have. I'm not saying that, you know, this season is going to be an absolute wash for Golden State. This team is not going to make the playoffs. It's way too premature to say that. And I'm not going anywhere near that type of rhetoric at this point. It's way too early to say that. However, there are some issues that have to be taken care of. One is their deficient of their overall defensive efficiency and two is their bench if they're able to address those issues as we go into what i would say the second quarter of the season i'd say that probably starts in december then i think you know golden state will kind of get back into a groove get back into a rhythm and then probably start to you know reinsert themselves as one of the better teams in the western conference so all things considered things could be a lot better in golden state they're not off to a great start but do I think it's all doom and gloom and they're going to miss the playoffs? No. I still have faith that Steve Kerr is going to be able to coach his team effectively. And when you've got guys like Steph, Clay, Draymond, Andrew Wiggins, and Jordan Poole, it's really hard for me to bet against those guys in the long run. Maybe in stretches, they might fall short here and there. But I, I, I think for the long term, I think they'll be okay. Definitely some issues to, that need to be addressed, though. I'll just kind of leave it at that. I mean, Kyle already mentioned uh, a couple of different things after I had made some some points of my own. The biggest thing I'm looking at, dude, Clay Thompson, where the hell are you? You might be averaging 15 points a game, 35% shooting, 33% from the three-point line. Like, where's that defensive capability? Devin Booker cooked you the other night. You're not being able to play both ways. You're not shooting at an efficient clip. I mean, for God's sakes, when you play... uh against good teams like the Cavaliers, and you go 3 for 13. You play against a bad team like the Kings, you go 6 for 16. The Kings, again, 6 or 18. Like, against the Magic, 10 for 24. How are you going to be regarded as one of the best two-way players in the game and one of the best snipers from the three-point line if you're putting up numbers like this? Like, it's not consistent. 
I don't know if something's going on where he had a long off season. He's still recovering from an injury. I don't know. There's no excuse that's going to be good enough for me to give Clay Thompson a pass. If Steph Curry's going out there and he's putting up fucking 50 points in a loss at the age of basically 35, why the hell can't you give him at least a consistent 20 ball? Why can't you give him a better efficiency from the field? Why can't you go out and if you're not having a good offensive night, why can't you go and guard one of the better players on the opposing team? Jordan Poole goes and gets a bag. He's averaging 16 points per game, shooting 42% from the field. And we all know the defensive liability that he is from the field. There's nights where he has 30 points, and there's nights where he has 9. There's nights where he has 36 points, and he has 11, and then 2, and then 2, and then so on and so Like He had one big night against the Spurs for 36, and at the beginning of the year, on October 30th, he had 30. Since that point, he's had 9, 11, 22, 18, 18, and then that 36-point game. He is the most inconsistent player for somebody that just received a massive bag. Unacceptable. I think that Bob Myers made a big mistake in not re-signing some big players and giving some of these players more money than they needed at this point in time. I'm not saying that Jordan didn't deserve it, but we needed to keep a core in terms of, like, for the Warriors, you needed to keep that core together so they can repeat, so they can be competitive because of the defensive unit that they lost. And here we are. You got an athletic wing and uh, DiVincenzo. Cool. You got a physical guy that's behind Draymond Green and Jermichael Green. Cool. Toscano Anderson, a good guy off the bench. He's gone in L.A. Great. GP2, one of the best wing defenders out there. He's in Portland. I, I understand the premise of what Bob had to do, but this is what happens when you have too many good players on a team. They're going to search for a bigger contract, and if you're not willing to give it to them, this is what happens. At the end of the day, the Warriors are not looking too well, but it is the beginning of the year, so I'm not going to sit here and say like their panic meter is like an 8 or a 9. I agree with Kyle, it's like a 4 or 5, especially because slow starts don't necessarily mean a whole lot, especially before the All-Star break. It's usually the hotter team that goes into the postseason that makes a run, but we've seen Golden State struggle in the past. They always find a way to turn it around when it matters the most. It's just a matter of where are they going to get support that isn't coming from Steph Curry. So Golden State needs to pay attention. They have adjustments to make. Steve Kerr said it best. They got a lot of heads down right now, and they're looking to feel sorry for themselves. Nobody in the league's going to feel sorry for you. When you play like shit, teams are going to play you 10 times harder. You're also the defending champ, so teams already want to come and knock you off of your high horse. So they just got to turn it around. They'll figure it out. Yeah, it, I think one of the things, though, that we kind of have to look at when it comes to Golden State long term is you know, how viable is that core going to be for the next couple of years? Like when it comes to Steph, Clay and Draymond. I mean, I've already kind of made my points with Draymond in the past about I think that they need to probably potentially look for different options for Draymond. Yeah. Just because I, I think that they could probably utilize that position a little bit better than Draymond. Now, granted, I don't want to minimize Draymond's impact to Golden State. I mean, he has a significant impact. And it's not just necessarily offensively. He's huge in the pick and roll game. He's solid defensively. And he really is what I would consider that energizer bunny for Golden State. I mean, he's not afraid to get up in guys' guys' faces. I mean, I mean, Kev, we have the freaking TMZ footage from practice before the season even started where he punched Jordan Poole in the face. So I, I'm not going to slight Draymond's intensity that, it, that he brings in, not game by game, I mean day by day. You know, we're talking about practice, not like Allen Iverson, but he brings that intensity just whenever he gets the opportunity to. 
But even with that said, you you have to balance on, okay, he's getting up there in age. Is there somebody that we could replace him with that could be able to be a little bit more productive? And I think that's something that Golden State's probably going to have to start considering, or if they haven't considered already, by trying to find some sort of replacement for him and you know seeing what happens down the road. But I think when it comes to Steph and I think when it comes to Clay, I think I think Clay's going to be okay. I think he's just off to a bad start. Yeah, I think he'll be able to get get his rhythm to get his legs underneath him. I'm I'm not worried about Clay as far as being able to shoot. Listen, if I'm him, bro, I keep shooting. Shoot or shoot. You know, sometimes what you got to do is you got to shoot yourself out of a slump. And sometimes all it takes is one, maybe two games of knocking down some shots consistently to kind of get you get you back into that groove. And I think that Clay could be able to do that. Um, I don't think he's going to be one to use that knee issue as an excuse. I don't Definitely think he's not, he's not going to be that type of guy. Um, he knows what he's capable of. It's just... Could it be an issue where he's just trying to, you know, fight through it and it's a more difficult battle than maybe he anticipated? Yeah, maybe. But I think everybody knows what Clay is capable of. It's just it's just overall, it's just they're off to a bad start. But I always kind of round back to this. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. I finish. So you know, when it comes to Golden State, I think they'll be fine in the long term. And to be quite honest with you, Kev, I think the way that we see it, granted this may be a little bit ignorant on our part but I think this just kind of comes with the territory. Does the basketball season really even start until Christmas? No, not at all. I I, I mean, I, I really think like the first month, month and a half, you know, they just kind of, they just kind of run through, I don't know if I say run through the motions, but they kind of just, you know, are figuring things out. It's very similar to what we talked about in football. Like the first month is basically just like an extension of the preseason. And maybe it's the same thing in basketball too. Why was up? Oh, sorry, it's, bro. I I I have to feel for. I just watched like two plays in a row where this man Aaron Rodgers is just looking at people like, "What the fuck are you doing, <laughs> <laughs> bro?" It's fourth down. I, I I'm not watching the game. I I I know you got you you got the game on Twitch, don't you? Yeah, it's it's fourth and three, and it's it's bumper run coverage, it's man coverage, and. Christian, I mean, Alan Lazard is obviously pressed up against somebody and Aaron Rodgers is getting pressured. And I mean, it's, it's just about putting a ball up to where you guys can go and get it. Alan Lazard stops running and looks away from the play. And Aaron threw the ball like right as he stopped running. And Aaron's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Christian, what? And Alan Lazard is just looking up like, oh, shit. That was coming to me. Like, dude, these receivers are just, they do it to themselves, bro. They just keep dropping balls. They're not running routes. They're giving up. Once they get pressured, they feel like it's off. Like, they're they're, they're not going to get looked at. Like, bro, run your route. Like, finish the route. I get he's, like, right on top of you, but you, you got to push through it, try to get a P.I., something. You, you know what that tells me? Overall, it's just inexperience. It's either inexperience. But it was Lazard, though. We just defended that he's been on the team for a little bit. Like, if that's the rookie, you, you yeah, but I'm not giving Lazard he, a pass for that, he, bro. He, you can't he, give up on a route. I tell you what, he's even got to adjust because he wasn't the number one guy for Green Bay last year. No. So, I mean, I mean, overall, that entire wide receiving core is just completely revamped. Not revamped in a good way, but look, 
Kev, I want to ask you something when it comes to the receiving core. Do you think it's largely inexperience, or do you think it's these guys don't know the extent of like how the plays are supposed to be run based on how the playbook is set up? I do. I have no idea. I think it's a combination of so many different things. I mean, you could really sit here and, and, and put it on their inexperience. You can put it on the complications of the playbook that Aaron Rodgers has publicly come out and said, like, do we need to simplify this shit, make it a lot easier? And then you can also just equivalent it to just simply being the receivers have no idea what the fuck they're doing. I mean, quite honestly, I, I feel like I've been swearing a lot in this in this particular segment, but it's like we're talking about a back-to-back league MVP and it's like he's putting the ball in the best position that he can. And these receivers are either just not in the vicinity of because they don't know what they're doing or they're not catching the ball. So, mm-hmm. it just, I, again, I don't know what it could be. It genuinely could just gen. It, I, I don't know, man. You stumped on like this I just, one. I watch, I'm stumped because I just watched back-to-back plays and I've seen multiple drives in this where like Aaron's just looking at you like, how do you not know what we're so, like? We've so, had a whole week of practice. Like I know it's a Thursday night game, but he's been doing this all season. So, like I, I think you know it, it's kind of interesting because it, it's honestly games like this where I'm looking at Green Bay as a whole. It's not Rodgers. There are some throws where it is where he you know he puts well, it in a spot where okay. it's like nobody's gonna be able to get it. But again, that's pressures. You know, I, offensive I, line. I, I'm not blah, saying blah. I'm not saying that Rodgers is clean in this. I understand no, that no, no. Well, he's had games where he's looked bad too. Like I, I don't yeah. want to discount that either. But I think he's just so frustrated with the lack of consistency. And you know, listen, some of it is on him, but it's like if guys are not running the right routes or they just don't know how, how to break off routes at the right time, you're going to be frustrated. I mean, you know, it just kind of it, it just seems as if. It just seems as if like guys are just like a half step behind or like a, just like a half step in the wrong spot, wrong place. And it's just leading to this overall dysfunction. Yeah, big time. So, and, and you know what the crazy thing is? Not that the Packers defense, I mean, granted the game's pretty much over at this point. Uh, it looks I like, turned it off. It was hilarious. The Packers held Derrick Henry to only 85 yards rushing. I mean, they, st- I they even, stacked the box the entire game, but Ryan Tannehill had a great game. I think he was twenty-one to twenty-six with two tuts. Yeah, and I, I remember when we, we when we were talking about this game, um, called on, on our oh yeah, I, I know. It's just I was of the mindset, and I think Green Bay was going to ride that wave. Well, not that. I looked the quarterback. I looked at the quarterback matchup, and who was going to be the one to turn the ball over. Like, who would be the one out of the two? Ryan Tannehill or Aaron Rodgers? I would say Tannehill. And I think, if I remember correctly, I think Tannehill did get picked off earlier yeah. in that game. No, and, um, In the court, in the fourth quarter, like with like nine or ten minutes to go, something like that. But I thought that, you know, Green Bay would be able to... I wasn't basing them winning that game solely off of the momentum that they had from last week. Definitely a part of it. I would say the primary factor was I just have a little bit more faith in Aaron Rodgers than I do with Ryan Tannehill. But if Tannehill's going out there and doing his thing, I got to give him respect for that. And not only that, I was of the mindset that if, if Green Bay is going to lose that game, it's going to be because Tannehill is going to beat them, not because Derrick Henry is. Right. So, you know, I mean, good on Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee, they are one of the better teams in the AFC. I mean, they're sitting at a six and three record. They're going to bump up to seven and three. So, 
you know, they just they just find a way to kind of remain consistent, uh, kind of remain consistent as far as I see it. They kind of remind me of the Vikings in a sense in the AFC. They're just a team that just, they don't win games convincingly, but they're winning these one possession games. We'll see what the yep. actual, you know, result of this game is. More than likely, maybe the Packers score one late to kind of close the margin a little bit, close the deficit, but. Yeah, we'll not, definitely, we'll definitely not, see. But uh, I know we got to wrap this one up because we got some shorts to also record. Yeah, I'm, I'm good here. So, yeah, we already hit an hour and a half, so. Yeah. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, sorry to be abrupt. I definitely got to, I got to bounce. I got a birthday present. I got to go get one of my boys. I'm still old fashioned. I like to get physical copies. Uh, one of my best friends is uh, 25th birthday. Just a few weeks ago, I pre-ordered him Pokemon Scarlet. Uh, I'm going to go pick up Pokemon Violet. We're going to play pretty much all weekend. Uh, yes, I am 28. Yes, I play Pokemon on my Nintendo Switch. And yes, I have no plans of growing up, but uh, you do need to be there a little early so you can get on the line because I, I would assume like the last Pokemon game that came out, it was quite chaotic at GameStop. Nothing like the old days in 2009 and 10 when Call of Duty came out. But if you want to get a copy, you never know how many a GameStop is going to have. So trying to get there a little early. So uh, Kyle and I still got some other things to wrap up. But overall, super excited for the weekend to come. Plenty of good matchups. Uh, plenty of great games. Obviously, we have plenty of NBA content that's going to be flowing as the season continues. Um, just to give a quick shout out, Paul Goldschmidt wins the NL MVP for the Cardinals and Aaron Judge wins the AL MVP for the, uh, for the Yankees as he should, but well-deserved, um, well-deserved by both. Exactly. So big shout outs to those guys. Baseball season has officially come to a close with, with awards, but we will keep you updated in MLB free agency. So there's once again, news to come, but, uh, appreciate all the support. All platforms have been growing. I say it every week it seems like it's just been numbers have been exponential over the course of the last month and a half. Uh, big shout out to my partner for holding it down for me last weekend. And, uh, you know, I know with Thanksgiving coming up, both of us are going to be with our respective families. So we will keep you guys abreast with what happens in that situation. But uh, again, hope you guys have an incredible weekend and we will be seeing you guys again on Sunday. Yeah. See you guys later. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there.